Welcome to the Christ Connection Podcast. We are here to help and encourage you to enjoy your adventure with Jesus. I'm your host, Kevin Senapati-Ratna. Let the journey begin. Hello and welcome to episode number 90 of the Christ Connection Podcast. I'm glad you could join us today. And today we are going to have a deep dive discussion about the persecuted church. Now before you turn it off and say, uh, I think I'd rather do something a little more uplifting, <laughs> uh, this I think actually will if you allow it to grab a hold of your heart. As I talked about or prayed through a couple episodes ago when we went through Philippians chapter 1, If you want to make your prayer life enjoyable, expand your heart. Allow that to expand to the next level. And when your heart is is enlarged, it's easy to pray. It's more fun to pray. And what we have today with talking about the persecuted church is just one of those opportunities to hear from a specialist who knows what's going on there and the stories attached to it. It will expand your heart and make your prayer life just so much more rich and powerful, and your life will gain perspective as a result of it as well. So I think this is going to be a good one. Uh, but before we get to that, we always have a couple uh, front-end things I'd like to get to before we get to the, the bio of my guest. Uh, the first is it's episode 90, and uh, that is the same number of episodes as two TV shows uh, that I want to highlight today. First is Knight Rider, you know, the coolest car in recorded history. Uh, someday, no, I'm never going to have that car probably, but uh, it's a cool looking car. Uh, I'm not a car guy, but that car on Knight Rider uh, was cool. Uh, and the other is early edition about the uh, the prophetic newspaper, I think is what it was. No, <laughs> uh, kind of. Uh, so uh, that's our, our two TV shows we're going to highlight. Uh, the other thing that I always like to point out for you, if you are new to the Christ Connection family, head on over to ChristConnection.cc. Uh, put in your name and email address. I'd love to send you a three-part video series on how to have an enjoyable prayer life because this is supposed to be a opportunity of a lifetime to spend time with Jesus. And so that's what it is all about. Uh, again, that's ChristConnection.cc. And while you're there, check out all the other things that we have to offer you. Uh, but I'm looking forward to this conversation. So without further ado, my conversation with David Curry. My guest today is Open Doors USA President and CEO David Curry, advocates for on behalf of those who are persecuted for their Christian faith. He provides leadership to Open Doors in its mission to strengthen and equip Christians who live under extreme conditions while encouraging these believers to remain strong in their faith. Since assuming the role of CEO in August of 2013, uh, Curry travels extensively to encourage those living under persecution and support the work of Open Doors. In addition, Curry is often present in Washington, D.C., advocating for religious freedom at the highest levels uh, of government, uh, including the White House, uh, Senate, and uh, the U.S. State Department. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It is uh, good to chat. I have been a Open Doors fan for many years, uh, going back to reading Brother Andrew when I probably when I was a kid. Where I was texting with my parents before uh, this morning just to try and well, we couldn't place it exactly, but I think I I read one of those original <laughs> 1960s versions. Of the yeah, <laughs> the original book, God Smuggler that told the story of how he began to smuggle Bibles behind the Soviet Union. I think it's been read 
probably by 14, 15 million, uh, there are 14 or 15 million copies out there that have sold. And the story holds up because it's really his personal journey, his spiritual journey, and the courage uh, that he needed and how he found that in his spiritual walk, his prayer time. He's a, he's a great man of prayer. Uh, but I recommend the book, God Smuggler, to everybody. I read it every couple of years, and it, it's just an amazing, amazing story. God's used it powerfully. I, I actually, when I started the ministry, because of its connection to prayer, when I uh, speak at churches, I would have uh, God Smuggler at the table back as one of the resources that people could, could buy, because it's just one of those classics. There. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I normally like to start in a random place just because that's who I am. Uh, and so I, I, when I was doing my research, I saw that you did a TED Talk in uh, May of 2013 uh, called De Desire for Dignity. Uh, I listened to a good talk, by the way, but I, this is a random question. How, how does one end up doing a TED Talk? <laughs> <laughs> Before I came to open, you know, it's an interesting journey. Leaders have have, uh, and you see this in scripture and, and uh, probably anecdotally people can see it in their own life. Leaders go through a different kind of journey. It's not a, a straight line oftentimes. The, uh, I went to an Assemblies of God school, uh, got into pastoral ministry, quickly figured out the pastoral ministry did not did not suit my either my temperament nor my skill set. Um, but I felt a calling to uh, to ministry. And I got into, through a series of events, uh, running nonprofits, uh, uh, many of them uh, uh, faith-based nonprofits. And in that process, I ran a rescue mission, which is emergency housing, transitional housing, rehab center in, in the Northwest, a, a very large rescue mission. It, it, and within that, I, I Somehow, uh, because of uh, what we were doing, it was unusual uh, for some of the quality issues and some of the unusual programs we ran that were successful, uh, that uh, it came to the attention of people. And somebody somewhere, now all these years later, I don't remember how, invited me to talk about, uh, about, about the subject of dignity um, and, and other things. So I don't remember exactly how I launched into that TED Talk, but... Um, <laughs> I remember, I remember being nervous about it. Well, I, that that stuck with me. Well, uh, not every day you give a. I mean, most people get to do one or two TED talks in their life. I think, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the the idea, uh, the uh, can, if I could uh, sort of draw a thread here, uh, the having a philosophy, whether it's running a rescue mission, a church. Uh, uh, that, that is that is a, a the, having a thread that runs through your life. One of them is this idea of injustice, of dignity for believers, and it's it's part of what I do at Open Doors because my fundamental belief I have a I have a very strong desire for for people to have their voice heard, for people not to be punished. Be, uh, we can't stop persecution. That's not even the goal of Open Doors. It's to stand with believers, to let the, to, to be their voice when they're they're voiceless within their context. North Korea, Iran, places where they're being shut down, even injured or killed for their faith. I have that deep within me, and it comes out in all every manifestation of what I do. I want to stand up for that person and and 
really articulate why that life has value. And so while it's been many years since I've heard that TED talk, uh, that that has stuck with me over the years. Well, that kind of leads to what I was going to ask. You were doing rescue mission. You've done other ministries. What was it like then to transition to, uh, I mean, it's been a while now, but uh, reflecting on that, to, to transition into open doors and, and how do you build a, or did you already have a passion for the persecuted church or how did you kind of get yourself uh, going with that once you jumped in? Before I ran a rescue mission, I ran a ministry in Peru. And at that time, the Shining Path, which was a Maoist uh, communist terrorist group, had had massively devastating effects on on the church. They would attack churches because the churches were the first to stand up and go, "What you're doing, the brutal nature of what you're doing, uh, is is not right." I mean, they were the first to really, on a mass level, use suicide bombings and so forth. So uh, when I was in Peru working, uh, I was holding meetings. I had some with the Assemblies of God folks, with Baptists, all different kinds of denominations on organizational structure and so forth. At one point, the Shining Path tried to attack the church, uh, the, the meetings we were having. And that was my first intersection with the persecuted, being, for, for being attacked for being a person of faith and a, and a voice for, for moral leadership. Um, I obviously lived through it, uh, uh, and um, it was uh, a lesson early on about uh, about the persecuted. I, the process of becoming to open doors, however, uh, there, if there's a if there's a common thread in my job selection, it is about uh, you know sen- that sense that God has called me to help to speak out. Uh, uh, for those people who are hurting, who have some sort of injustice. I think that's, that's a calling that I have that I take very seriously. The, the practical parts of it, I mean, I really, in a sense, I mean now spiritually uh, that God was calling me to this international context, whereas before I was in a regional context. Now we're, we're a global organization that's in all of these uh, 60 or more countries where people are most persecuted for their faith. That's our target market is those places that nobody else wants to go. uh, And we will be there present with the church and ask them the question, what do you need to be the body of Christ in this place? Bibles, support, training, uh, what can we do? And of course, there's an advocacy part of it where we're speaking out as, as your introduction said, to governments, both foreign governments and this government here to say, here's what's happening on the ground. We have a world watch list, which is our grassroots data, the most trusted source uh, of of what's happening around the world, persecution targeted at Christians. And so we share that with governments. We help them to draw some conclusions. We certainly encourage uh, some uh, productive conclusions. We can't dictate that <laughs> i wish that we could but um so you know that i felt god calling me to that and i went through a spiritual process to kind of determine that but um yeah that's a little bit of the background well i, I love that because it is for most of us a journey of uh, like you said in leadership it's not a it's not a straight line it's kind of no. sometimes feels like a ping pong there right and i'm guessing even now that you're in the role uh and now it's been, you know, eight years or whatever. Hey, what would you say has 
has anything changed in the persecuted church side of it? I mean, as you look over the eight years, is is it pretty much the same as when you got there, or how would how has that developed over time? It, it's intensified. The uh, the drivers behind persecution, and there are three or four significant ones: the spread of radical Islam, and you could sort of, as a shadow of that, say radical Hindu movements, which are now in Nepal, uh, uh, India. Okay, though the, the, that thread that's a driving force in the statistical and the real violence and, and repression of christian faith so when you look at isis and al-qaeda and al-shabaab they have different names in different countries but that theology and it is a theology that sees christians as infidels is has 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 grown i know people want to say well we've conquered isis they don't need a capital city that they've spread their money into Africa. They've spread their theology. Saudi Arabia and others have been, have been funding these madrasas that teach, that teach this theology. And so that, that leadership is spreading. So that's, that's happened, and it's picking up steam, even though we don't have an ISIS right now that owns a territory, okay? So when, I, when you ask what has changed, these drivers, that's just one of them. There are other drivers behind this, the rise of persecution of Christians. Secular intolerance is one of them. Uh, nationalism is another where people are saying, you're not really part of this country if you're a Christian. That's a Western thing. Uh, uh, that's an American thing, as silly as that sounds to us. Uh, those things are intensifying and picking up speed. So... Uh, that has changed. That that has that that actually has created an environment where it's always changing and and taking and morphing in in some nasty ways. What it's done though is, in some ways, uh, the response to it is more interesting, and that is that in the places where the body of Christ has unity, where they understand and they teach the fundamental scripture, the gospel of Jesus, uh, and where, where they are in community, unity, scripture, and, com and community. These are three concepts where those things are present. The church can grow under persecution, but it doesn't always grow because the, those, those three things are not always present. But uh, when those things happen, the response to persecution can be very healthy in the sense that the church grows deep, even if it grows underground, and it uh, is refined by the process. Speaking of change, and we'll probably come back to that whole, how the church thing does, because that's an interesting idea that some churches, <laughs> some churches, maybe I'll just ask it. What, if, uh, when a church doesn't do well, what, <laughs> And uh, in a persecuted setting, does it just kind of disappear at that point? Or, I mean, I, the church is never going to completely disappear, but I mean, right, right. Uh, does it, uh, you know, just for the most part cease to exist? Or how does that look on there in real life? Oh, when... Yeah, there are places around the world where entire countries where we can, you know, maybe find 50 or 60 believers uh, that uh, that would, would come you know, would be, uh, would be present, okay, as we would know it. So 
there there are places where the church has shriveled now how does that happen okay when let's pick out one of those when i talk about about unity what i'm really suggesting is that the body of christ now here in america we're a poor example of this but we're going to have to come through this okay and as secular intolerance rises in America, we're going to have to find what are those fundamental things which make us part of the same body. Because you can, some people speak in tongues and some people don't. And some people believe you should be baptized and some people believe you should be sprinkled. What is the central organizing idea? It's the, it's the life, uh, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So how you work your services and whether you use a guitar or whether you use an organ, in a sense, under persecution, all of that falls away because the Pentecostal is going to be hung on the same gallows as the Catholic. Okay, And that's hard for, for some of us pastors who have all of these ideas and we, we've studied it and we think we know it and we're on a level, certain point, we begin a little bit intolerant to that, but under persecution, a lot of that needs to melt away. Where that doesn't, where there's no unity about the uh, around around people who are part of the family because of of the of the organizing idea of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Where there's infighting, and it turns out we cannot fight each other and fight the devil at the same time effectively. So that, that's one way where you see, and look, we saw this in Egypt. Let me give you a, a very practical example. The Orthodox Church would call the police on evangelical churches. And evangelical churches did not believe the Orthodox were, were actually followers, were, were Christians. They saw it as a religion. They saw it as dead. They saw it as hollow. Okay, So they were like hurting each other during Mubarak's reign. And the church was stifled. Then something happened. The um, I'm oversimplifying, but it'll help people get a picture. When the when the Muslim Brotherhood took over, that has it's an it's a just another name. It's this radical idea, radical Islam. When they took over, they began to persecute both of them. And thank God, the church in Egypt began to realize: Wait a minute, why are we fighting each other? When they began to execute Christians, and they literally executed them, they were executing Orthodox believers. And they asked these Orthodox believers, some of you can see this video, and you remember the guys in the orange jumpsuits lined up on the beach, and, and these were Orthodox believers. And the, the, the ISIS uh, said to these Egyptian believers, Orthodox um, Coptic believers, they said, you have a chance. Are you going to follow Jesus? If you follow Jesus... We're going to kill you. And those believers said, we will never deny Jesus. And they were executed for the name of Jesus. That woke up a lot of uh, believers within Egypt. And we began to work together. And the church now, under great persecution, has grown healthier in Egypt because of that unity. That's just one thread of an idea, but it's a terribly important one. Maybe I'll just touch briefly on the Bible part of it, where, where, where people... Uh, develop th theologies that are not biblically sound, weakness happens. It's like a structural problem within the body of Christ. And persecution, let's, let me use a, a, for an example, I hate to pick on somebody. Um, if, you, if you feel this way, please forgive me and have grace for me. But uh, 
prosperity gospel is an exaggeration of a truth that exists in the Bible, where, where we see prosperity gospel spreading out. And when persecution comes, it, it's, it finds a weak church because they have no context. Why, why am I not being blessed? Why well, I don't understand. Nobody ever talked about persecution. No one ever talked about, about things not going your way. All of these sorts of things. So that's a biblical idea. Uh, the idea that God wants to bless you, the idea that God has good things for you. These are, these are, these are concepts within scripture, certainly. But prosperity gospel, I think uh, largely people understand this is a, 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 an Americanized idea, a Westernized idea. That, that it's all up and to the right, that the charts are only going to be good if you're following Jesus. And if you're not, then somehow this is on you. Okay. Uh, that's a structural weakness that happens when people don't have a Bible centered, uh, you know, tested idea. So we can go too far down that, but this gives you an idea about how if the church is strong, unity, community, and Bible centered, then, then it can grow under persecution. So I, I, with an organization like Open Doors, where you've been around for 65 years now, is that correct? Yeah, uh, over 65 years. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, the some of the challenges are the same. Some of them are different. Uh, how, and we mentioned, you know, Brother Andrew, uh, you know, bringing the Bibles into the you know, Soviet Union back in the day. Uh, what then uh, stays the same and what changes for an organization like yours? Well, what stays the same is our core values, uh, and the core values are, are terribly important because uh, because because everything does sort of change around it. Uh, some of our core values is that we're focused on the persecuted church. In other words, we we are covert ministry. We never are there to promote open doors. And within many countries that we work, open the name open doors is uh, not welcome. Okay. So our job is to go in and not build open doors churches or open doors networks. It's to support the body of Christ. That's a core value. And there are lots of places where we could be church planters, where we could be doing all sorts of things. But instead, we've decided to latch onto what God is doing and build the movements that are there present within that, that context. Sometimes we have to be sort of an exoskeleton when, when there's a system or a country where the church has shriveled. But we always want to latch on, you know, start building that skeleton of, of the move of, of Jesus with whatever's there. So we have these core values. What changes over time is technology. Because we, we began as Bible smugglers. Some of you people read, read the book, God Smuggler, but you could see it was a guy stuffing Bibles into his VW bug. But then he evolved. He's like, you know what? We need a company. We need, they, they, they essentially took over. Uh, this is not in the book, but I'll give you some background. They took over this um, portions of a shipping company where they were taking refrigerators into the Soviet Union. And they began they had a reason to be there and they were taking thousands, th tens of thousands of Bibles in, in, in through the shipping uh, containers. So they had, that was a technology, but then now it's a computer age and there are things that are going on. Uh, if that gives you an idea of the covert nature in a practical sense, you can imagine the sorts of things we do now, which we don't advertise. And maybe we'll talk about in 10 years or so that are technical in nature but that allow the body of Christ to be fed, to have scripture, to have teaching, to not be isolated. 
to not have the, isolation is a key thing because the devil wants to isolate believers in North Korea. He wants to isolate believers in the in the Islamic context of Iran and Saudi Arabia, and we want to connect them because we're supposed to be connected. So we use all kinds of new technologies. That sort of thing changes, but the function is very much the same. Now, one of your main, I mean, uh, probably for the United States and Western people would be the uh, world watch list, uh, as that's one of the things you'd be known for. Uh, for the average Christian, how do you envision that being used and what, what are you hoping with that? Well, what it is, is it's a compilation. It's a baseline number of the people who are killed or persecuted, attacked for their faith. Uh, and what I mean by baseline is it will certainly, there are certainly more people persecuted than what we report, but we only report those people that we can document that they've been reported, uh, that they've been attacked. What I'm hoping it will do is help give a, 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 a grounding to the stories that people hear. Because right now, the body of Christ in, in the United States only knows about persecution when it's on Fox News or some other media channel. Okay, we're not aware of how wide it is. So we think of it as an incident, and it's not an incident. It's not just the Chibok women who are kidnapped from a Christian school. And now you don't hear about it, so therefore it must not be happening. That happens every day. It happens every single day in Pakistan. There's a massive number of women, Christian women who are kidnapped. You never hear from them again. Uh, Christian schools that are that are attacked. I mean, it's just going on. So we have to find a way to ground the body of Christ in something that they can say, this isn't just a story I heard to stir my emotions. This is real. Okay. And we, I'm hoping that it will have that effect of helping people understand the scope and the scale of it. But then fundamentally, I, I shift for the average believer. I want them to to find the country that God has laid on their heart and pray for that place and, and understand and pray through it. I think churches would benefit from praying through the list, talking through the list, um, making sure we're drawing attention to these places because in every place that we document, there's, there's you know significant issues that the body of Christ needs to be aware of. The third thing that comes from this list is stories, the stories behind the numbers. And this is really where the rubber meets the road because there, while there are things that we can do, and certainly Open Doors is providing connection, so we have projects that you can support in these very difficult places. So that's our way of saying there are things that we have that the persecuted church needs in Saudi Arabia, in Iran, in North Korea, in Somalia. But guess what? When you hear the story, there's something they've learned that we need. Ah, their faith is tested. They've counted the cost. Some of them to even accept Jesus. They had, it was like signing a death sentence for themselves. They knew they had the opportunity to lose their entire family, to lose their job. Uh, you know, I mean, but yet they still did it. We don't, we, we can't understand that from where I'm at in Southern California. I can, you know, so I need to see the stories and have it stir my heart and have it, you know, hopefully deepen my faith. Hey, is there a, uh, 
I'm sure you couldn't give a hundred, but uh, since you said stories, is, is there uh, one or two that come to mind of what it's like to, uh, for the people in those places? Well, let me give you two uh, that I, uh, two friends I've talked to recently, one of them in Pakistan, one of them in Nigeria. I'll start with Nigeria. Uh, her name is Afordia, and we have uh, some of her uh, story online. She was a pastor's wife in Boko Haram, which is like an ISIS affiliate in the north of Nigeria, uh, came into her village and seeking to kill and attack Christians. They found her husband and her. They, they were driving away to try to escape. And, and they, as they pulled Afordia and her husband out of the car, they, they put him on the ground and they said to him, are you an infidel or, or are you a Muslim? He's, remember now, he's on his knees, this pastor. And he says, neither. I'm a follower of Jesus. And they kill him, execute him right there in front of Afordia. Now, here's, here's where it gets real. They then put her on her knees. And the question becomes clear. She now knows what is going to happen. They ask her, are you an infidel or are you a Muslim? She has a choice to make. And she has now seen what's happened when her husband stood with Jesus. All she has to do is say, no, she could just say it's just for the moment. She could say, you know, I'm, I'm just doing it, stay alive for my kids. But instead, she says, I'm neither. I'm a follower of Jesus. The reason why I know Afordia and I'm talking to her is because they, they were ready to shoot her right then. And some guy goes, hey, it's against the Quran to kill this woman. And they begin to have this argument. And somehow they let her go. Okay. But... I talking with her, hearing her story, talking, you know, asking questions and all this sort of thing. It really just went, man, where's my faith? <laughs> I mean, you know, that's one idea. Here's another one. Uh, I was talking with a, a wonderful woman. Her, I'll call her Hannah. She lives right in the heart of the most radical parts of Pakistan. Pakistan's, I think, number five on the world watch list, meaning it's extreme persecution. And she, when she walks out of the house every day, she lives across from this radical school, uh, the University of Madras that teaches this. And she has to walk the gauntlet every day of these, these, uh, these, uh, these jihadi soldiers who hate, who, who see women as less than and hate Christian women more than anything. And we report a lot on the, the kidnapping and the, the sexual assault on these women. And she has to walk this, in, this gauntlet on a daily basis. And just hearing her story, we, we have videos of her online, hearing her story about the spiritual process she goes through to wake up and live for Jesus in that context every day is inspiring. So there's two examples of, of things that we can learn, but there are stories, uh, stories on top of stories and videos that will encourage your spirit. As hard as it is, and all the statistical stuff keeps growing, the persecuted church is a church of joy. It's a church of victory, and you see that. It's not one to, to shy away from because there's so much to learn and so much to grow from in, in, the, in the process of learning about it. I, I'd agree with that. <clears throat> Some of my travels to <clears throat> travels or ministry to that, those different parts of the world, you, you see the smiles on their faces, and you know, you're like, this doesn't, you know, if I was in your shoes, I might not quite respond yeah. the same way. <laughs> and then you yeah. have to yeah. go back to your, back to your knees. 
Uh, the other thing, though, when people start going into this, uh, and I think I probably over the years of because uh, this has been kind of something that's been on my heart for a long time. And so I've, I've, you can get that feeling of overwhelm, you know, when you're talking hundreds of millions of people in the body of Christ who are uh, experiencing these kind of things. And you're like, and you kind of touched on it, but uh, if, if someone is looking at this, <clears throat> how do you move past the overwhelm so you can still pray and give yourself to action? Yeah. I mean, the fatigue is a real deal in the world today. It's partly because of our inputs. Are, we're not designed, I don't think, to, to be getting, uh, you know, a thousand different inputs on Twitter every day of every bad story and everything, every trauma that people are trying to foist upon us. What I like to encourage people to do is to, to ask God, what are, you, what are you stirring my heart about? Uh, and there are some things that, that I think everybody is, God has troubled you about. And that's one of the ways he pricks your heart to, to, to take action. But then there are things in scripture which are universal, what I call universal callings. Okay? There are different gifts, there are different talents, all these, but there are universal callings. One of which I think is to care for those who are in chains for the name of Jesus, the way it's described in scripture. It's, it sounds to me like a universal calling, meaning if we're going to be in a family, we have to care for those people who are in prison because they're followers of Jesus or hurt because they're followers of Jesus. That's something we all do together. It's as if it were ourselves, the, the Bible says, or if or part of our family. So if in that nature, this, this is our brother and our sister. So I think that personalizes it. But I don't think you can do it if you're taking every trauma of the world that they're trying to put on you. You have to ask God, what are you stirring my heart for? And what are the universal things you've called us to do? Every believer, uh, one of which I think is to care for the persecuted and to care, to pray for, to pray for them. That's why one of our main movements is, is this prayer app, Pray for the Persecuted. It's on Google, it's on Apple, and our Prayer Force Alert, which is the physical incarnation of it. It's where we mail out to you, pray for these things. And when you're praying, you're actively doing something. These are often spiritual battles. You can't go into North Korea to solve the problem for the church. Sometimes I'll talk to pastors, they're like, is there any way you can get me into North Korea where I can preach? Pastor, I'm sorry, your preaching's not going to help. We need a spiritual solution here, okay? And there are practical things we do there, but it will not be to hold a tent meeting, okay? And it's hard for some pastors to get through that because their gift is communicating, and they're like, "If only I could communicate." Uh, but uh, but these are spiritual. There's a spiritual battle, and these physical, political humanitarian issues first start with the spiritual. So we want to get people to pray, download, pray for the persecuted. We just send you prayer requests and answers to prayer, and you can send notes to the persecuted, which we will deliver. All this happens right there on this little app, but we want, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people praying for the persecuted on a daily basis. And I think that releases you from the tension of feeling like you have to solve everybody's problems with money or with whatever else. Uh, I did, didn't. I guess I missed that. <clears throat> excuse me. I missed that in my my research. Uh, Pray for the persecuted app. I will. I will have to look that up my, myself. Uh, and and I lo like how you you're taking your people and 
putting them in a specific action item that they can actually do because uh, again overwhelm is because it's trying to do too much uh, yeah. or like you said before picking a country on the watch list <laughs> rather than all the countries and learn a little bit about that uh, specific place uh, i heard in an interview you once said uh, that the persecuted church and i'm paraphrasing a little bit here but uh, want us to pray with them and not just for them uh and they and if I got it wrong, you can tell me I got it wrong. But uh, if, if uh, could you explain a little bit more that idea of how the church wants you to pray with them and not just for them? Yeah, we, we hear this over and over again uh, when we're talking to the persecuted church, meaning believers in Egypt who are persecuted, believers in Somalia, believers in Morocco, in China, in North Korea. Uh, what they're essentially saying, and this is a very unique Western thing, where when we go to help somebody, we're kind of telling them what they should do. We're like, we, we can, we're going to fix your problem for you. Uh, some of the, and that's the wrong way to do it. Okay. What we have to do is we have to say, what, what are your needs? How can we pray for you? But it needn't be from a place of hierarchy. Okay. They, they often will say, just pray with us, pray with it. Cause we're people of prayer. They understand the scope of what they're doing. They understand the spiritual nature of it. And they don't want to be talked down to. They don't want you to pray for them as if you're the father and they're the child. Pray like a brother. Pray like a sister. Pray with them. They're people of prayer. You, you know, just overwhelmingly you find this, that they're praying for these situations because it's so big they can't even get their arms around it. And they don't want you to come in and sort of talk down to them. Just come alongside as a brother or sister. That's the concept. That I think is so powerful. I love that. A couple more questions before we wrap up. I, I for one, am one of those who could talk for hours about this because this is just something that's in my heart and haven't really done a lot with on the show with this. But I, I've read, I think, most of Brother Andrew's books over the years. So just on my own, just because that's that's who I am. But if you kind of giving someone you because you talked about the app and you talked about praying for countries uh, can you either from your own story uh, how it looks for you i mean you're busy ceo what is you know praying for the persecuted church look like for you or just someone you know in your travels that uh, maybe a, a mother uh, uh, who's you know with young kids what their prayer life might look like uh, or business person uh, what is uh, what can kind of a practical strategy be for praying, you know, implementing that into your life? Well, uh, Andrew, Brother Andrew, by the way, that's not his real name for those of you who wonder. That's his code name. And that gives you another picture of how Open Doors has worked. We began as a covert ministry into the Soviet Union, other places. So he gave himself the name Brother Andrew. Uh, but Brother Andrew has a little board. He's 90 uh, plus years old. He, he writes down the prayer request. I'm going to pray for Dave. I'm going to pray for Kevin. I'm going to pray for this believer. And he pray, He just sits and looks at it in his, in his old age and prays through it. Just pray for people. As God stirs you, as it comes across your path. And for him, that's quiet time in the morning. For me, um, you know, I have a little board uh, in my office where I stick things that, that to, to remind me to pray. And, I, and, and in the moment when I run across something, I stop. This morning, I had a situation come across my day. Every day I hear stories, okay? So this is part of my task. But rather than 
it could be overwhelming if I, if I felt like I, if I started to make a list because I'm in it every day, I certainly have lists that are given to me on these sorts of things, but I, I pray for things as it comes across my, so it's like, Lord, help this person. What can I do? What can I do? Lord God, is there anything you're calling me to on this? You know? And so I just kind of do it as a, in addition to my quiet time. And we have lots of it uh, where we, t- we, we have to take time here regularly to help people process and set aside time because it's intense work. And we, it's a heavy burden. So we have to continually kind of hand that burden over to Jesus. But so we definitely do that. But I will pray ongoing as I go through the day, as I run across things, pray for this, pray for that. And, uh, and uh, just uh, in addition to the, the quiet time. I, I love that. Cause as a, as a guy who leads a prayer ministry, uh, everyone decides that you're a good person to send a prayer request to, or, yeah. uh, and so uh, I make the habit of, uh, if someone's like, could you pray for this? Okay, let's pray right now. Uh, so that I can, uh, in right. case I, in case it doesn't, doesn't come back, you, you got a chance to, you, you've prayed for him in that moment uh, and not let it go and not honor the fact that they're asking you something. Um, now, and can I add one other oh, thing yeah, to that? Absolutely. Um, there, there's an idea, and what I call it is being a happy warrior. And I think it's a scriptural idea. So count it all joy, he says, when when things come come to you. This idea, but but uh, others, including uh, Wilberforce and others, that uh, uh, Churchill had this idea of being a happy warrior. Okay, so that you understand you're in a battle, but you're not going to let it own you. You're not going to walk around dour and depressed. I think that's a totally scriptural idea that you're in this battle, but the battle in a sense has been won. Okay, so we needn't be burdened. And I try to remind us, we talk about it here. Let's be happy warriors today. We got problems. We got challenges. I mean, I folks, if you knew my problems, my personal problems, not even my 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 ministry issues, you just go, oh my gosh, you know, how's this guy get up in the morning? But because I want to be a happy warrior, I want God to be transforming me into reminding me of what 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 burdens am I supposed to carry and what burdens am I not supposed to carry? Oh, yeah, because we're not we're not designed to carry at all, uh, <laughs> or we'll just be crushed. Uh, kind of a, a two part as we last kind of last question uh, here. Uh, if someone wants to be uh, involved you know while well, praying as we've talked about uh and i'm guessing you're going to direct them to the app but if they want to do something uh where what would you uh, request them to do and also any final ask before we uh, start wrapping up here well you're right i mean pray for persecuted app it's a top level i think every believer should be praying for the persecuted i think that's the universal calling to the body of christ uh, there are projects when God stirs you for North Korea or Iran or Vietnam. There are projects where we are going present uh, in, alongside the church in these areas and our, our partners. Uh, and, and people can take part in that. So when they get into researching and God stirring your heart for a country, go see, see if there's some way that you can be a practical help to them. Um, all those things are on our website, opendoorsusa.org. Uh, but get to know the stories and the places and the people that are affected by this. These are your brothers. These are your sisters. We're standing with our family. These are not, these are not people that are distant from you, as, as hard as that is to imagine. 
So that's uh, that's a, a powerful thing we need to understand that it is uh, it is family. It's not it's, it's not isolated faces or even stories that we hear. That, uh, at some point we'll be standing around the throne with all the tribes and nations and uh, peoples and uh, they'll be standing right next to us. <laughs> right. uh, so again, that's uh, opendoorsusa.org. Uh, anything else uh, 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 that you'd like to either, you know, parting shot, anything like that? Well, I know, I know you have a lot of pastors and folks who uh, leaders who are listening to this pastors talk about this talk about this subject this, even as simple as praying for some of the circumstances and lifting it up reminding and teaching and working it into the in the routine i'm keenly aware my brother's a pastor that uh, you owe, you guys have to be the subject matter expert on everything whatever's going on in the world but make this a regular part of the diet of your church and your small group studies and all these sorts of things i think that would be a big a big step forward for the kingdom here in, in the in the west and, and it's easy to slip it in uh, here there as a story and illustration and i'm guessing just going to your website you'll find uh, a story or two that you can share this sunday as, as i when i was yeah. a pa when i was a pastor i was always looking for another illustration so hey uh, you, you guys are probably there for it. we make it easy all the resources are sort of uh, there for you to download use it's all free uh to, to make you look really, really good. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate you taking the time today and uh, it's been a good uh, and hopefully helpful for each of the people involved. Thank you. Well, there you have it. I hope that was an encouragement to you and it will expand your heart as you meditate on it, as you go through resources, as you do those things. I just hope this conversation is something that sticks with you. Uh, at least one item that you do as a result. Uh, one item that you can do right away is go to ChristConnection.cc and click on podcast and you'll find the show notes there. Again, that's ChristConnection.cc. And while you're there, you can uh, put in your name and email address, as I said at the beginning, and get our three-part uh, series on how to have an enjoyable prayer life. And uh, while you're doing some simple actions, uh, why don't you subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, that they can be an encouragement to you and your walk with Jesus, because that's what it's all about. That's why I do this. That's why it's not just for fun, not for kicks and giggles, but we want you to grow in your relationship with Jesus. And so um, subscribe and to spread the word, rate, review, share it with a friend. We'd love for that as well. Until next time, I hope that God blesses you, keeps you uh, may his face shine upon you. May you see the smile of heaven. And while you're spending some time with Jesus today, uh, remember the persecuted church. Until next time, God bless you.